chapter 1, and I'll read through chapter 2, verse 1. Give your attention to the Word of God. <clears throat> the Word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will, have, I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel. To forgive them all at all but i will have mercy on the house of judah and i will save them by the lord their god i will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen and when she had weaned no mercy she conceived and bore a son and the lord said call his name not my people for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. The grass withers, the flower fades, and falls to the ground, but the word of our God remains forever. Amen. Again, I introduce to you our brother from Israel, Dr. Uh, I gave him doctor. He's, I, he's told me he hasn't finished his dissertation. I'm, I'm confirming an honorary David uh, Zadok. David, come and minister to us the word of God. There you go. I was looking for you. Here. Good morning. I knew that it was worth to come. I received the honor in doctor's degree. <laughs> <laughs> so it was worth it. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I'm very thankful and grateful for once again this opportunity uh, to be with you this morning, uh, this Lord's Day, and to worship together and also to bring uh, the Word of God. I bring you very warm uh, greetings uh, from our congregation, Grace and Truth, and also from our publishing. Uh, this is actually my third Sunday that I've been in this side of the ocean and I have to say that I greatly miss my family and also the congregation yeah. and uh, God willing to tomorrow I will start uh, moving uh, towards 
the land of Israel, the Holy Land. <laughs> um, as you know, there are some books uh, in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament that begin in an astonishing way and unique in their genre. Uh, the epistle to Galatians in the New Testament is such, because unlike any other of Pauline epistles or even other New Testament uh, writings, Paul immediately starts with a very harsh confrontation um, to the Galatians. He criticized them, particularly the Judaizers. Uh, his confrontation was unlike of any other that he's done in other epistles, and particularly that he begins it so very quickly. Uh, usually most epistles he talks about uh, how he's praying for them, but not in Galatians. And I think that the book of Hosea among the prophets is also uh, such, a, such a book as it begins with an unprecedented command that God gives to his prophet Hosea. I think that in many ways, uh, the book of Hosea is a showcase of God's judgment for Israel, but also a hope and salvation that comes to grace and mercy of God and that alone. In many ways, we know that the big story of the Bible is just that, judgment, but also hope. The, vast, or the last verse of the scriptures actually ends with the word grace to the much of the book of Revelation is actually about the judgment and the justice of God that awaits those who have not yet bent their knees to God. In Genesis 3, we see the judgment of God pronounced on Adam and Eve. Death was imminent. It also included exile from the Garden of Eden, God's choice of the most beautiful garden for his supreme creatures. And yet, amid all of mankind, uh, we find the undeserved grace of God even there. We find it first in the fact that God didn't execute immediately his, uh, his punishment of death, the physical punishment, even though we know that the spiritual one came immediately. And of course, we see other gracious acts of God in, in Genesis uh, 3. And of course, the big one and the big important act of God's grace was the fact that he protected Adam and Eve from their access to the tree of life. And though God's judgment was declared to Adam and Eve and the order of descendant and the serpent, but he came together with great promise of hope. So Genesis 3 provides us not only with the first uh, promise, but sets also a pattern that we find it throughout the Old Testament, and particularly in the 12 minor prophets. And these uh, repetitive acts of God point again and again to the redemptive plan of God for salvation that comes through judgment. And that's what we shall see also in Hosea, and in fact, as I said, in all of the minor prophets. To understand fully and better the message of Hosea would be just helpful to say just a few words about the 12 prophetic books known as minor prophets. Augustine was the one that should be, quote, quote, credited with giving that name, uh, minor prophets, even though I'm sure that he didn't mean in any way to try to minimize the importance or the message 
of the 12 uh, prophets, except maybe in size. But even when we put all the 12 minor prophets together, they came to the same size almost as Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. In fact, in the past, the 12 minor prophets was written on one scroll. We know about uh, the Ethiopian eunuch that he bought a scroll of Isaiah as he was going back. And so also the 12 minor prophets were in one scroll. And it's interesting that in Hebrew, the name of the 12 books is actually the Aramaic word for 12. So in Hebrew, the minor prophets are called actually the book of 12. The 12 prophets can easily be divided into uh, two sections. Those who prophesied before the exile, as we call them, the pre-exilic, uh, before the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. And then the other ones uh, that are called the post-exilic, and there are three of them. And this evening we will talk about the last one, Malachi. The main message of these prophets before the coming judgment of God to the people of Israel and to the people of Judah was repent before the judgment of God would come. And yet, in all of their messages, there is also hope beyond the judgment, a glorious future that is the highlighted in the coming of the Messiah. Each of the 12 prophets in his own way, but also in his own unique words, points to that great hope that God's people can look forward to it. The message of Hosea, the first of the 12 prophets, is very sharp and clear as demonstrated by the unusual command that God gives to his prophet. Hosea, already in the very beginning of his call, is commanded by God to act in an extreme an unusual way, almost against the moral norm. Nowhere in the scripture do we find or come across the fact that God asked his prophet or his messenger or his apostle to marry a whore and to have children with her. More challenging for the prophet would have been the fact that the reason that God is asking him to do that has nothing to do to anything that he has done, but actually the people of Israel. In fact, the sins and idolatry of Israel were so horrible that God says that they have even defied the land. We see the connection of the people and to the land. Hosea, immediately after a short one verse introduction that we just heard, uh, very similar, by the way, to the introduction in the book of Galatians, in the epistle of Galatians in verse two, begins with God speaking to him that says, Go take to yourself a wife of Hordom and have children of Hordom. And if that's not hard enough to hear and also to obey, God tells his prophet that the reason for this unusual request is because of the sin of the people. There was a connection, as I said, between the people and the land. And we saw that a little bit also yesterday. And their idolatry was so deep that even the land committed idolatry. It's something telling about what is happening in our world today as well. Imagine for a second what was going on in the mind of Hosea when he hears this command of God. Kind of saying to himself, so I'm supposed to marry to a prostitute and have the children from a prostitute just because the people have sinned? 
being a prophet in the Old Testament was not an easy job. <laughs> uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, very brief, hopefully, uh, three points. Uh, the first would be the judgment of God to the names of the children of Hosea. The second point is actually the reversal of the mercy of God to the names of Hosea's children. And third and lastly, we see the mercy and the grace of God as he restores his people. But first, the judgment to Hosea's children's name. To emphasize the gravity of the idolatry, Hosea uses the same root in Hebrew, the root of Zana, or the Hosem, four times in verse two. In English, it doesn't come out uh, that strong, but in Hebrew, four times you hear the word, or part of that word, Zana. This is a clear clue to the depth of the sin and how the Lord sees that. The relationship of God to his people was a covenant relationship in the same way that the marriage of a husband and a wife is a covenant. And that's why the sin of Israel was so bad. The iniquity of Israel was deeper because of the relationship that God had with Israel. And this is the same relationship that Christ has with his church, with his bride. And that's the same reason why when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And to impress how horrible the offense of the people of Israel was against their God, the prophet was not only asked to marry a harlot named Gomer, but also to have children from her. In fact, the prophet didn't have the option of naming his children, very similar to Isaiah, even though the names there was a little bit nicer. But rather God gave them names as a visible sign and a reminder of the unfaithfulness of Israel. The first son, as we saw, was to be called Jezreel or Israel. For God will punish, it says, the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel that was shed there. And will bring an end to the northern kingdom. In 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10, we read about the bloodshed that Jehu committed at Jezreel against King Ahab and all others who he murdered. And here, God is telling that he will punish the house of Jehu and he will put an end to the northern kingdom of Israel. The second was a daughter that was to be called Lo Ruhama, no mercy, for God will have no mercy on the house of Israel. And the third was a son who was to be called Lo Ami, not my people, for they are not my people, and I am not their God. Back then, not only being a prophet was hard, but being also the children of a prophet uh, came with the baggage as well. The three children are the three judgments of God on Israel. And every time that Hosea or Gomer or anyone would call the name of any of the children, they would be reminded of the judgment that God has promised to bring. To bring. It was right in front of their eyes all the time, and they could not forget the coming judgment of God. And yet, there was still time for Israel to repent and to forsake their idol worshiping and to turn to the God of their fathers, the creator and the sustainer of 
Hamlet and Herod. That was too then, and it was too at the time that John the Baptist came as well, and too also for us today and this day. As Jesus preached and said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But the time will come that will be too late to repent. And that's why the author of Hebrews puts it clearly and urges us to come to God because he says, today, if you hear his word, do not harden your heart as in rebellion. The people of Israel hardened their hearts and were exiled. One of the darkest periods in our long history was actually the exile that came. So let us not harden our hearts today and this morning, but to listen to the warning of God that judgment is indeed coming. But in addition to the judgment, we see also hope in the reversal of Hosea's children's name. Amazingly, also in the book of Hosea, God presents both his judgment and at the same time hope, a future hope that would follow the judgment so quickly and would be an independent and a pure act of the mercy and grace of God. Judgment and salvation come together, almost hand in hand, yet in both, God is glorified. And his glory is man's chief end, as we are called to enjoy him and to glorify him always forever. In fact, not only in the first few verses we find this pattern of judgment and hope in Hosea, but the whole book is actually about that. And chapters 1 and 2 serve kind of as an introduction to the whole book of Hosea. The two themes of judgment and restoration are intermingled and appear again and again consecutively. Hosea opens before us kind of a door of the courtroom. And he writes as if he's broadcasting live from that courthouse. The accused are Israel and Judah. And there is indictment against them that is read. They have transgressed against God's law and have broken his commandment. In chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says this. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follow bloodshed. The judge is none but Yahweh himself, and the verdict is guilty on all counts, on all charges. The judgment was pronounced and will be executed. But eventually, the same judge calls them to return to him so that he would receive them graciously and so that his anger would turn away from them. And he would love them freely. He would be like a dove to Israel and the land that committed idolatry shall blossom like the lily, as it says in the last few verses of chapter 14. Verses 4 and 5. In Mount Sinai, God made a covenant with Israel. Part of that covenant demanded faithfulness to the one God of Yahweh. The very first of the Ten Commandments was, You shall have no other gods before me. This morning, we confess together the fifth commandment. In Exodus 20, verse 3, that's what God 
says the first commandment was you shall not have any other gods before me this was the foundation and the basis of the covenant relationship between God and his people a relationship as deep and sincere as one between a husband and a wife as Hosea demonstrated it in his marriage life and therefore it's no wonder that the New Testament compares the relationship of Christ to his church as a marriage the church is indeed the bride of Christ we are the bride of Christ and the only reason that Christ allows divorce is under the new under the new covenant is adultery and unfaithfulness and yet in the case of Israel and Judah God does not divorce his people but he forgives them and receives them back again and again much more than 70 times seven and this is what happens again and again between Hosea and Gomer Hosea never divorces Gomer and in fact the prophet buys her back and brings her back again and again as we read in Hosea chapter 3 and then the third and the last point are the words of mercy grace and restoration Hosea being the first of the 12 minor prophets but the order of the 12 books is not always chronological so Hosea wasn't the first to write and neither Isaiah but concisely packs both judgment and the mercy of God together we have seen the anger and the judgment of God mainly to the names of the three children of Hosea but now we look at the mercy and the grace of God intermingled in the same short chapter verse 7 begins with the wonderful word of but you know I usually tell my children something to do when they say but one of my first response is there is no but but here but is good and he continues to say that God will have mercy on the house of Judah words come immediately after the previous verse where Hosea was to call the name of his daughter no mercy but now to the house of Judah God says that he will have mercy on them and will even save them judgment cannot be the last word of God who is merciful his judgment is real as was seen by the two exiles of Israel and eventually also the southern kingdom of Judah even Jerusalem the city that God's name is upon him was destroyed including his magnificent temple where his presence and his glory was there with his people which was ruined twice not to be built again the book of lamentation laments the destruction of the city and the death and the pain that came as the result of the Babylonian exile. God's judgment is real. In the midst of their pain and anger and agony in Babylon, God assures his exiled people and his defeated people that he has plans for them, plans for future and also a hope. So also here in Hosea, while he would not have mercy on Israel, 
that he will have mercy on the house of Judah and will save them. A similar response and pattern we see again after the third child is born. The third son is called, not my people. But immediately after this, we read in verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. And later he adds, and in the place that was said to them, you are not my people, will actually be said to them, children of the living God and the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. God is just and righteous, but he's also gracious and full of mercy and grace and is able to do far beyond what we can imagine or even think. And certainly far more than what we can do to ourselves. With God, the end is always good and great. Without God, the end is grief and sorrow destruction and death and even eternal hell. Mm -hmm. Chapter 2 begins with this amazing and encouraging words of God to those whom he called not my people and no mercy. It says, say to your brothers, you are my people and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Such is God, people of God. Behold, this is your God. How blessed we are to have such a God as Yahweh, as our God. We can see the folly and the foolishness of the people of Israel, that rather than worshiping the one and true God, they worship and bow down before the idols made by hands for wood and stone. How foolish we, human beings, can be. This is a trade, not only of the people of Israel back then, but also for us now and today. We may not worship idols made by stone or wood, but we worship many other subtle kind of idols. How many people ignore the beauty of God's creation? How do people close their eyes to the handiwork of God in their lives and in the world, and they ignore it? How much people ignore the life that God has given them so graciously. And how many try to reverse the order of the creation and exchange their sexual identity and have ruined the sacred marriage covenant that is between one man and one woman. The Hosea is the first of the 12 prophets. His message is not totally unique to the book of 12. While others, other prophets did not have to marry a prostitute, yet the message that God gave them was very similar. In the book of Job, we see a similar pattern of judgment and hope. Destruction, but also reconstruction. The prophet begins his message with one of doom and destruction, as he describes the various kinds of locusts eating the crops, and a mighty nation that would come and invade the land, referring to the exile. Yet soon his message is turned into one of hope and restoration, as the Almighty would pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh. And the last part of the book of Joel prophesied about the Lord being a refuge 
to Israel and Judah, they would have the knowledge of the Lord. The book of Amos begins with eight judgment statements on eight people and nations, the last two being Israel and Judah. And in all of them, there is a repetition of the phrase, for three transgressions and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, which is again, is an indictment of God on the people. And then again and again, Amos tells the people of Israel in many ways that God gave them the opportunity to return to him. And he says, and yet, you did not return to me, declares the Lord. These words are repeated so many times in the book of Amos. And only in the last few verses of the last chapter, we hear the words of hope and salvation, mercy and grace, as the Lord once again would reverse his judgment. The dry land would be filled with water. The fruitful land would bear fruit. He would replant them in the land after he has uprooted them. And above all, he would raise up the birth of David that it's fallen, as we read in 911. And of course, we know what happened in the book of Acts, chapter 15, when they were talking about the Gentiles that have come into the church. And they talked about exactly this verse that was fulfilled. Well, the short book of Obadiah is not typical of the other 12 prophets due to the fact that it's a prophecy of doom to the Edomite or against the Edomite. Yet in it we see a point of judgment and hope. The one chapter book starts with the clear declaration of the doom and destruction to the Edom and the Edomite kingdom and the reasons for God's annihilation of that nation, which was due to the mistreatment of Jacob and Israel in the past. And why the majority of the book is God's judgment against Edomite, yet beginning with verse 17 and onwards, there is a message of hope and prosperity, but not for the Edomites, but actually for Jacob and Israel. The exile from the house of Jacob and the house of Joseph will indeed repossess the land that was taken from them. And the last words of the prophet Obadiah, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And this is what we read in Revelation 11:15. The kingdom of the world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The judgment of Edom and Edomites brings hope to the people of Israel, to the remnant people of Israel, and eventually to the whole world. As the kingdom of this world and all nations becomes the kingdom of God and of his Messiah. We can look at the rest of the, the prophet, but Hosea sets us the tone for all of them. God is not done with his people of all, despite there are many shortcomings and sins. And ironically, God in his unsearchable wisdom uses the fallen Israel and through them sends the Messiah, the seed of the woman, the savior of the world. I would think that the last people from whom Christ should have come would be the idolatrous Israel. We know that God often uses the weak of this world 
to show his power, his glory, and also his strength. So in conclusion, the book of Hosea as an introduction to the minor prophets showcases the grace of God and his mercy. Hosea, certainly in chapter 1, points clearly to the unfaithfulness of Israel and Judah. But at the same time, he points to the faithfulness of God. Above all else, Hosea points us to Christ, who came not for the healthy, but for the sick, who need a physician. He came for the sinners who need a savior, who cannot save themselves on their own merits because of their sin and their misery. And his love was so great that he came down from heaven, lived among sinners, and died the most painful and humiliating death for them, death on the cross. He drank the full cup of the wrath of God due to our own sins. And he did not leave even a drop for us to use. He fully paid for the sins of his chosen. But in the loving act, he demonstrated to us salvation through judgment. And was glorified through it. And will continue to be glorified eternally till one day we would see him face to face. So congregation, the message of Hosea is for you and for me today. It points us to Christ, the only one who can save us from our miseries. And it encourages us to know that no matter what, how far we might fall with God, there is always, always hope. And there is always restoration that He can bring. And if He could, and if he could save the idolatrous Israel, He can certainly save any one of us. Father, we thank you for this wonderful message of Hosea. It showcases for us your goodness, your kindness, your righteousness, but also your mercy and your grace. We thank you that in Hosea we can see Christ. We can see the work of Christ. In Hosea we can see the gospel in the Old Testament. And for that, we are grateful and thankful. And we pray, Father, that you would use the message of Hosea in our lives so that we can glorify you. More than that, Father, that we can turn to you if we have not turned to you yet and have not bowed our knees to you. We thank you that in Christ you have opened the gates for us that we can come in. And in your goodness, you would not reject anyone, just as you did not reject the people of Israel. And we thank you and pray this in Christ's precious name, who alone mm. is our Lord and also our Savior. Amen. by David's ministry of the word uh, yesterday. If you missed the seminars yesterday, they are available on the
Facebook page, uh, and I think there are going to be audio recordings on, on the, web, uh, the website, so you can catch up. You have one more opportunity tonight to hear uh, from David, and um, as wonderful as his exposition of Scripture are, and we do appreciate your faithfulness to the Word of God, uh, he is uh, wonderful in question and answer. So, and and uh, following the prophets and following the apostles, which was one of their uh, ways of ministering the word, uh, he does that in an excellent way. And I'm going to uh, have a good portion of that time uh, tonight in tonight's service for your questions. And and uh, it's it's been a tremendous uh, blessing. So, thank you again, brother, for bringing us the word of God. Let's respond to the glorious gospel we heard by offering ourselves and our gifts to the Lord in our morning offering.